tonight we're going to talk about a really cool story, and she hasn't put it up yet. That's good, because I don't want you to see it quite yet. We're talking about a, um, an interesting story that you guys have probably heard before, I'm guessing. If you've been in the church for even just a small amount of time, um, it's used on a semi-regular basis, and maybe some of you guys have heard it, some of you guys haven't. You guys are in for a treat tonight. It just so happens that um, I am on my new message, Bible Kick. I finished reading the Bible completely. I've read every page in the Bible. Last week I finished it. Some of you guys have heard that again and again now because I've told you because I'm excited about it. I'm sorry that I've told you more enough times. that, But it was really exciting for me. And I decided that now I'm going to start reading the New Testament all in the message translation. And it's really cool. Often you guys have read it much. But the message is very much like we speak today. And really good for reference, actually, too. Like, when they talk about a prophecy, he actually names who the prophet is, like, right in there. So it's really easy to read. So I'm on it, and you're going to get a lot of um, the verses we read tonight are going to be out of the message. So if you read them and they sound a little different than yours, um, it's cool. If you look for the meaning, they're the same. Uh, It's translated correctly. Don't argue with me tonight. Later we can. All right. What we're going to look at is in Matthew 25. And if you guys want to turn there, you can go ahead. I'm going to turn there because I'm going to read it to you. All right, and here's how the story goes. I want to read it for you, then I'll really begin talking about it. 25.1, Matthew 25.1. God's kingdom, this is in the message, is like ten young virgins who took oil lamps and went out to greet the bridegroom. Five were silly and five were smart. The silly virgins took lamps, but no extra oil. The smart virgins took jars of oil to feed their lamps. The bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him, and they all fell asleep. In the middle of the night, someone yelled out, He's here! The bridegroom's here! Go out and greet him! The ten virgins got up, got their lamps ready. The silly virgins said to the smart ones, Our lamps are going out. Lend us some of your oil. They answered, There might not be enough to go around. Go buy your own. They did, but while they were out buying oil, the bridegroom arrived. When everyone who was there to greet him had gone into the wedding feast, the door was locked. Much later, the other virgins, the silly ones, showed up and knocked on the door, saying, Master, we're here, let us in. He answered, Do I know you? I don't think I know you. So stay alert, you have no idea when he might arrive. The story is used um, a lot of times to talk about the kingdom of God about people who are ready for the coming of Christ and the people who are not ready for the coming of Christ. And time and time again, it's used about this, that the smart virgins were the ones who were righteous, who were ready for God to show up at any time. And the silly ones weren't paying attention. They were the ones who really didn't have an eye out for God. They weren't ready for this coming of, uh, of God's kingdom. Tonight we're going to take a different look at it. Um, one that I actually got from my beloved pastor, Pastor Jack. And I've entitled tonight's message, and it's a funny, it's a joke. Silly virgins, wicks are for kids. I thought it's funny because it's based off of, you know, silly, silly rabbit tricks are for kids. Silly virgins, wicks are for kids. I couldn't read the thing silly virgins time and time again in the message without thinking of that. Silly rabbit, silly virgins. It just, I'm sorry. I'm childish, and you see it through the messages. We're going to look at this different tonight. This is what I mean. Pastor Jack preached a message, and he used the same verse. And we're going to kind of jump off this. I'd never heard anyone take it this way, and I got to talk to him about it. It was really cool. 
People look at this and they say, well, this is a good representation of God's kingdom. Some are smart, they make it, others don't because they're not ready. And what Pastor Jack said, though, he said, the problem is, is this. Why didn't the five virgins go tell the other five virgins, you guys should go buy some extra oil? What happens if the bridegroom's late? They were smart enough to think about bringing extra oil, but why weren't they smart enough and nice enough to go tell the other five virgins, hey, he might be late. You guys should really think about buying some extra oil. Or even better, if one of those virgins of the silly ones would have said, hey, maybe we should go buy oil, don't you think that probably the other four would have followed her right along and went and bought oil as well for their lamps? And what we're talking about is this, is if this is to represent the kingdom, those who understand and those who don't, then I think it's a poor example when you think about it in this light, is that when we understand that we're going to heaven, that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are never supposed to just sit there and hold on to our oil. And I'm not changing what God's word is whatsoever. It can be used in both, in both ways. I'm not disrespecting Jesus' words. We're just looking at it in a different way and applying it to what, as we read through Scripture, we will see is true in God's word. So if we look at this differently, um, it kind of changes the perspective. Uh, I really like the way the message puts this. Um, they don't just say the prepared and the unprepared, but I like the fact that they say they're the smart virgins and the silly virgins. And what I like about this is the fact that they use the term silly, which just kind of reminds me of someone who, like, isn't thinking. They just, they weren't even paying attention. They should have, but they weren't even thinking about it. And when I hear that, it seems perfect to me because I really think that a lot of people in the world who fall into that category, who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and aren't ready for the coming, aren't that way because they hate God, aren't that way because they've decided, but it's because they're silly. In other words, they haven't been brought the correct knowledge to even decide yet. I think that the majority of people, they're just silly. They haven't even learned how awesome God is yet to decide yes or no. They're just kind of out of the loop, just like these girls who just weren't even paying attention. They should have, but they didn't really even have, um, they weren't even on the right track with that. They weren't even clued in on it yet. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to take this story in this light and we're going to apply it to ourselves. And how does this actually change who I am? How does this make me do something different than I was planning on doing tomorrow and the next day and the day after that? How does it actually change something? Um, What we're going to look at tonight is that if you say you have a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight, if you say that you believe you're going to heaven, you are in the smart virgin category right now, okay? Congratulations, you are one of the five smart virgins. But what we're looking at is this, is that we cannot be those people who are going to sit and hold on to our oil and not mention it to anybody else. That's not what we're called to do one bit. We are supposed to be the people who are constantly telling other people about what we know, about what God has done in our lives. That's who we're supposed to be. Um, There are so many people who call themselves Christians today who you will see come pressed and dressed on Sunday morning, park their car, come walk in smiling, shake everybody's hand. How are you doing? Doing great. God bless you. See you later. Sit down, listen to a message, get up, scurry out so they can go get their Sunday brunch and go home, and they don't think about God one time from there back till Sunday. The other people who even think about God throughout the week 
they actually come in and they really try to get something out of, out of the message. And as they go through their week, they really try to think about it. But when someone bumps into them and, you know, says something that really lingers, maybe says something about God, they feel something, but they still don't say anything. They just kind of sit there and they don't really mention it to people. They have friends, they have family who don't know about Jesus Christ, but they're content having Jesus for themselves and not telling someone else about it. There's a ton of these people. And that's not what we're called to be one bit. That's not at all, as, as we looked at this picture, completely wrong. That's not what we're supposed to be. What I'm saying is this, is look at this story, take a look at it, and now we're going to go to a different set of Jesus' words. And when I read this, this is exactly, I mean, God is saying this to the people. This is exactly what I feel we're supposed to be like. And this is if you turn back to Matthew 5. And I'm once again reading out of the message. And um, this is about the salt and the light. You guys might have heard this before. Jesus says this, and if you guys are like me, you're going to love this because the message is so, I mean, like he's standing right here telling you straight from his mouth. And uh, in your Bibles, it will start in 13. It says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to be open with God, this generous Father in heaven. When I read that, that's what I see is what God is telling us. He says about making us a light bearer and putting us up on top of a pedestal so people can see us from all around, living a generous life so that people can see the generous Father in heaven. When I read that, that's what I feel Jesus is saying. Um, and obviously the, the first one, the, the message of the virgins, he was trying to communicate something else. But we can look at that and, and jump to this. So this is what I present to you tonight. Um, it's that God's will is not for you to just be saved. That's not God's will altogether, his complete will. We talked all about God's perfect will, if you remember right, about accomplishing just what God has for your life. And it's not for you just to get saved and go to heaven. It is God's will for you to be the person who gets saved and then who runs out and tells everybody about that salvation, about the salvation that they can have, just like yours. If you guys have read in the Bible, in the, um, in the apostles' accounts, it talks about Jesus Christ, and there's time and time again where he'll take and he'll tell someone about a relationship with him, and what he'll say is he said, now go back and tell your family. Go back and tell somebody else. Go see the, the priest and tell them what I said. It talks about people like the woman at the well that she went back and she told everybody in town, there's this man that told me everything in my life. He must be the Messiah. There's another man that he told him, he says, you know what, don't go tell anybody. And the guy ran back and told everybody anyway. He couldn't help it. That's what God is calling us, is to this, this dramatic way of life, of being light and bringing that God color 
to this earth. Man, it's beautiful what the message says like that. It's exactly what he wants us to be. So why am I saying this? Many of you guys are going back to college. Other guys, I mean, some of you guys are just getting back into the rhythm of life. Even you guys who are working right now and saying, well, I'm not going back to college, can't you still kind of feel like that summer thing just drawing to an end, though, where it feels like you're going back into that, just the normal stuff that you do in your life? I mean, I know you still do a lot of the same things in summer, but summer has a different feel, doesn't it? It's kind of back to, back to the real world. And there's people around us on a daily basis who God has put there for a reason. Not just because it's happenstance and chance, but he put them there for a reason so that you can tell them about Jesus Christ. It's exciting. So here's the deal. A chain of mediocrity has started in Christianity years back, many years back, that said that you can just be a Christian you can just believe in Jesus Christ, and that's good enough. You really don't have to change much else about your life, how you react to people, how you do things. And what I want tonight is to you to say, I am no longer satisfied with that chain of mediocrity. Tonight, I want to break that, that I want to be, um, I want to be the link that just snaps this chain and stops it. The fact that from now on, people would see the fact that being a Christian, being a follower of the way, is an action, is a way of life that daily, day in, day out, second to second, minute to minute, people know you're a Christian and you tell them about it. That you shine God. That you express God in a daily basis. So, let's break this chain tonight. And I want to look at a scripture verse in 2 Timothy 1. And this is Paul. And uh, I'm a big fan of Paul. He is an amazing man of God. Great words of wisdom. And Timothy is, is small letters that he wrote, First and Second Timothy, um, to kind of his protege, the man who followed him uh, through so much stuff. And Timothy has this call of God, and Paul sees it, and he's writing him to basically encourage him, tell him about stuff that he needs to do in his, in his ministry, trying to get this man of God just on track for what God has for them. Just like we talked about, I mean, man, doing all of God's will, giving up on what your own will is and just full bore on what God's will is. So he starts this letter, and um, he's kind of giving Timothy these nuggets of wisdom back and forth, these different things. And I want to read you. Um, it just starts in 6, and I'm going to read it to you in the message again. Um, I'll read it to the NIV first, because I want you to hear the difference. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, timidity, excuse me, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Now, in the message. And the special gift of ministry you received when I laid hands on you and prayed, keep that ablaze. God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold and loving and sensible. So don't be embarrassed to speak up for our master. They say the same thing. But I want to use the message tonight because I like the words that he used in this, and it applies really easily to our own life. That when he's telling Timothy about not being scared anymore, man, just be excited to tell people about Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid to tell them about who our master is, who our Lord is. Don't be afraid to get in the middle of the fray. Just go with it. 
he uses three things. He says, he says you don't want to be shy. He says, you want to be this. And he lists three things. And they're, they're really, really good as application to our life. He says, you've got to be bold, you've got to be loving, and you've got to be sensible. I don't think he just wrote down those three words. I think that's godly, divinely appointed when you think about those. They're beautiful. And it's so good for what we say about how we're going to be a good represent, uh, representative of Christ. The first thing he says, he says, you've got to be bold. And this is one that so many people lack. They get saved and maybe you even have a will to tell people about Jesus Christ. You understand that this is important. This is God's will. Time and time again, he told people, it's time to go out and it's time to tell people about what you know. Even if you know this much, get out there and tell them this much. But he says, you've got to be bold. Proverbs 28.1 says this, The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. We are the righteous. Why are we not as bold as a lion? I say this, we can no longer be afraid. We can no longer be shy. It's not going to work. We are supposed to be the bold. We are supposed to be the ones who step out and stand out. Let me tell you this. People back in Jesus' time who believed in Jesus Christ stood out. These were the guys who were getting drug off to the temple, and they were getting drug off to the court, and they were getting drug back and forth, beat up. I mean, you know, Paul almost got stoned to death. He got left for dead. They threw a bunch of stones at him, thought he was dead, and left him. Um, all these different people were always right in the limelight. I mean, they got drugged before a court, and they get, you know, beat up, and they get tore up, and they stand true for what they, for what they believed in. They were bold, and they stood out in society time and time again because they would never stop talking about what they believe in. It was just constantly on their lips. They'd tell them, you've got to quit talking about this. And they'd say, there's no way I'm ever going to stop talking about this. It was what their life was. And often now, this isn't the case. We're not the loud ones anymore. Christians have become this quiet, subdued type of thing where we sit in the background and now the world is the bold yelling in people's face, trying to tell them what to believe. And this is completely wrong. We are supposed to be the bold ones. We are supposed to be the ones that stand out. We're supposed to be the ones right in the middle of the fray, the people who are willing to say, no, this is the truth. This is reality. This is Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be the ones who are willing to speak, who are willing to stand out, who are willing to get, if you, fin- if you continue in Timothy, he says, to suffer for the cause of Christ to get right in there and actually take some, take some abuse for it. We need to take bold back from what the world had because now they have it, and we need to take it back. I say this because I know for a fact because it's been in my life, and I know for a fact it's been in your life. There are times and situations where something happens, someone says something, something transpires where you know the fact that God wants you to do something. Or you know the fact that God wants you to say something. And you feel it in the back of your head and it starts here and it works its way all the way up and slowly meanders through your head and right about the time it's going to come out of your mouth, the situation's already done, isn't it? Because you didn't act. The situations come fast, but the sad thing is is they leave even faster. Right when you think you can take care of it and you can take a hold of it, it's already gone. You already missed the opportunity. The chance is over. And that's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be the bold ones that when a situations arise, our first thought is Jesus Christ. That when we hear that instance and we feel that 
small voice in the back of our head, our immediate thought is to speak for what Jesus wants you to say, to do what Jesus wants you to do. You know, not just speaking, but you guys ever felt that where like you think, yeah, I think I'm supposed to give that guy $5. You see a bum or something like that? Mm, situation's already done with. You just missed it. God wanted you to do something, but you weren't bold enough because you were too set in your ways. You were too scared to get out of your mediocrity, to get out of your just blasé standard. Like I said, it comes fast, and the only way it's going to happen is if you're truly bold. You can't just try to get faster at at responding. It's not going to happen. It comes with this boldness of really believing it, really getting on fire about it about making your, your day about Jesus Christ, day in, day out, being bold, not being afraid what people are going to say, not being afraid if people are going to make fun of you, but standing out on purpose, on purpose. You get that? Most Christians complain because they stand out and they get made fun of. Standing out on purpose. Think about that. It's okay if you get made fun of, and it's okay if you ruffle a few feathers. Now, I don't have this exactly quote from quote, but I love it. Adrian Rogers, he's an amazing man of God. And uh, he dealt with tons of these big-time government people. And I heard this one time he was on this committee or something like this, and these guys were talking about, you know, what his response was and what he was supposed to say. And um, finally, after a while, they said, you know what? They said, Adrian... If you don't compromise on this, we are not going to be able to get along. And Adrian smiled, and he says, that's okay. We don't have to get along. He wouldn't compromise. He stood out, and he ruffled feathers time and time again because he knew it was true, and he wasn't afraid to be bold, to say what was right and say it again and again, to stand out. The second thing he says is to be loving. And this is the centerpiece of what, your faith and what witnessing is. If you want to tell people about Jesus Christ, number one, foremost, love. It was said in the Bible, it said, what three things remain? Hope, faith, and love. And the most important, the most amazing, the one that's going to shake the entire earth, it's love. That's the one that really stands out even above those. Jesus himself was God's embodiment of love, if you think about it. I mean, God's standard is perfection. And he had all this old-time way. And then he sent his own son. That was, I mean, it was like a beautiful gift of God's love. That's what Jesus Christ was when he came to the earth. I mean, you couldn't think of a better representation of God's love for you than sending his own son to come and die on the cross. That's amazing. I mean, the, the picture of love. And Jesus, when he was here on this earth for the 33 years or, you know, whatever like that, his mode of operation was love, time and time again. He didn't just run up and he didn't just tell him, hey, repent, the end's coming, and run away. What did he do? He come up and he met with a person. And he laid hands on him and he takes someone who was afflicted and someone who was in pain and he removed it from him. Why do you think he did that? You think it was just, you know, people say, oh, because it was because they saw... They saw God's power then, and that's true. But do you think that was Jesus' only, only directive? Or do you think it was because when he looked at people, he had so much love for them that when he saw pain, he felt the responsibility to take care of that? Remember the one where he's in the temple? 
And everyone's waiting for him to heal this guy because it's against, it's against the rules to do anything on the Sabbath. And he says, what's right to do what's, you know, what's, what's acceptable, to do what's right or to do what's wrong? He's sitting there looking at a man who's in pain, who has had to deal with something his whole life, and he says, you tell me, you tell me what's right in God's eyes for me to walk away from this guy because I know that I can heal him or to heal him. I think that so much more than just showing God's power was because of Jesus' amazing love for people that he couldn't help but take and pull afflictions out of them, take and, I mean, just show love to them time and time again. That was what Jesus did just over and over again. I can't imagine just seeing the love like Jesus Christ picking up those kids and yelling at his disciples, you know? How dare you, how dare you tell these kids not to come to me, you know? I mean, Jesus just had so much love. And if we're going to share our faith, this is what the centerpiece has to be in our life. And the, the thing that's so hard about this is I can tell you you have to love, but I can't tell you how to pick up love. I can't tell you how to grow that. That's something that Jesus Christ has to give you. True love isn't going to come um, from, you know, trying it. This is something that Jesus Christ has to give you, and it took a while for me. Uh, I was a very hurtful person. I've told you guys before, I was a very hurtful person, and God birthed in me a heart of love. So that now, um, there's times when you see people and your heart just breaks and you think, man, you just love them so much, and it's because of Jesus Christ. He said this himself. He talked about the fact that he says, you know, you love each other because I first loved you. That's where it comes from. That's, love is God. Love is Jesus. Um, and what it develops into is this, is it, it develops past um, loving someone because of the fact that we know we should, because we're Christians, loving people because of the fact that we hope they can get saved one day, but it moves into the point of loving people just because we love them. Because that's what God did to us. We were sinners, ugly, rotten, spit in his face type people. And he loved us enough to come and die for us. That we look at people who are the exact same and love them just like Jesus Christ did. Do you understand that? Loving someone like a friend, and I know I've said it before, every single day if they never decide to turn to Jesus Christ. If you, you love them and you, you pray for them daily, your whole life, that that love doesn't change because it, it, it can't change. It's true. It's pure. Um, Mark 10, 21 uh, is a good thing. I love this because it, it talks about Jesus' uh, love. And I want to read it to you in the message once again uh, in Mark 10, 21, if you want to get there. There's this kid, and uh, he's, a, he's a rich boy. He comes running up to God, and he says, you know, good teacher. And Jesus corrects him. Why would you call me good? Only God's good. And that's kind of like the question to him. I think he was firing back, are you calling me God? And he comes up, and he says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, he says, you know, well, what does everyone say? You know, follow the, follow the scriptures. Don't, you know, lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. And he says, I followed all these things. He says, teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. And the message does this so well. It says, Jesus looked him hard in the eye. And there was a pause. And loved him. And loved him. It's so amazing because this kid comes and he, like Jesus gives him this thing, you know, don't do all these different things. And this kid, 
he's not even thinking. He says, I've done all these things since I was a youth. Yeah, right. Like he's never done any of these things that are wrong, you know. He, you know, he's probably kind of self-righteous, whatever, these different things. Who knows? But it doesn't matter. Jesus looks at him hard in the eye, like almost like you could see like this thing, like he's like thinking, who is this kid? And he says, and he just loves him. That's Jesus' response. And then he tells him, you know, go sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And the kid turns around because he can't, because he's, he's too attached to what the world has on him. Jesus loved people, and that's why people saw who he was, saw who the Father was. Um, that's how we are, so often are going to show people what God is. Like I said, Jesus and God is love. That's the embodiment of it. So if we want to show it to him, we have to demonstrate it as well. Um, that's how we're going to communicate. Above sermons, above worship music, above all these different things that we can possibly do, above talking to our friends, showing them love is going to be the number one thing that's really going to change them. This can be a, a multitude of different things. Um, the first thing is this, is if you really love someone, you're not going to be content just, you know, hi, how you doing? You're going to want to become part of their life. You're going to want to become part of who they are. You're going to want to know them. How about just stopping, um, how about just stopping and actually ask them, how are you doing? Not how are you doing, because everyone gets that. But how are you actually doing? How's your family? How's this? How do you actually feel right now? Is everything cool in your life? Actually wanting to know what a person's going through. How about actually demonstrating it and helping when there's a problem? Not just saying, well, I'll pray for it. You know, I'll tell my pastor about that. But how about actually helping and actually demonstrating Christ's love, acting it out, that you want to help them because you love them? How about actually being there when something hard happens? That you're not one of those friends who just say, oh, I'm sorry but you're actually the person who's there to help them out. There's so many different ways that you can show Christ's love. I mean, on a daily basis that you can do with friends, and there's even ways you can do it to complete strangers. How about actually smiling at somebody and being nice to them? That's showing Christ's love. Not because of them being a nice person back to me, but just because I love them because of who Jesus Christ is, that you smile and you say, you know what, thanks. And you're actually smiling to them and being nice. You know, not everything has to be a, a big long, a big long sermon to people. You know, part of it is just your love. Just actually putting on who Christ is on a daily basis. How about when you go up through line uh, in a you know a checkout or something like that? You just take and pull out a couple extra dollars and you pay for the person who's in line behind you. You actually let that act out a little bit. Maybe put a little bit of money where your mouth is. Do something like that. Take the time to actually help somebody out like that out of what your normal schedule is. I heard a story once, I think Shelby told me about it. There's this woman who ended up coming to a church and her husband didn't believe, uh, didn't believe at all. And they had a problem in their basement. I think something flooded um, and there was all these different problems and a bunch of the guys from the church come over and helped. And the whole day they worked with this guy, this, this guy who was just a hard, didn't care about Christ one bit and by the end of the day, this guy was saved. By the end of the day, this guy had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You think it was because they presented a beautiful, eloquent sermon on Jesus Christ? Not at all. It's because they came and they started demonstrating Christ's love first and foremost. And then as they went through the day, they showed that love time and time again to him. That they were the kind of people who actually cared to help when a problem like this happens. Who knows how many of his friends he might have called and they said, sorry, I'm out getting drunk this weekend. No, I got something else to do. And they wouldn't come and help. 
but these guys would because they care about him. By the end of this day, this guy said that he understood Jesus Christ because of looking at these guys' lives. That's true witnessing. That's how we're supposed to be. To start with this, uh, like I said, it's hard to just develop love. One thing I can tell you is this, is start to pray that Jesus is going to show you what the world looks like through his eyes. Jesus lived a life, a complete ministry of interruptions. He'd walk around and see somebody, and then he'd go and talk to them. You know? How about that, about seeing the world through God's eyes, that when you walk through your day, you don't just see faces, but you see hearts. And you see the fact of someone hurting, you see the fact of the pain, and you want to be there to help. The last thing that he says is this, and he says, be sensible. And I think a lot of people would put a lot of emphasis on the first time and not much emphasis on the last, and I think that all three are as important. He says, be sensible. Don't be an idiot about it, is what he's saying, okay? Don't be stupid. Be smart about what you're talking about. First thing, God gave us really tremendous brains. Um, You think about what this world has to offer, um, what man has done on this earth. It is absolutely astounding what God put inside of us just to think of where we are today to where, you know, say Jesus was back then. It's amazing how much um, drive, how much knowledge, how much wisdom God put inside of us and how, I mean, just tremendous he made us. Um, Realize this, and I think this is really the, the best thing about being sensible. You're smart enough to understand the weight of what we're talking about. I can tell you about the first two things and about the emotion of it, you know, about loving and about being bold, and that's very emotional. But how about the very mechanical about it too? Being sensible. You're smart enough to logically think about the fact that the time you spend, that the love you put out, that the energy that gets put in these people can change all of eternity. You're smart enough to understand that. God put that inside of you. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Please someone tell me what cost is too much for one human soul. Because I have yet to find it. There is no cost too high for one more person making it into heaven. One more person stepping from darkness into light. There is no cost too great. So to use this understanding to actually realize the fact of how important this is, first of all, be sensible. Don't be stupid. Realize how important it is, first of all. And second of all, like I said, God gave you wisdom, okay? (laughs) I'm sorry, but there are people who are going to go through their life time and time again, sitting across from somebody who needs to hear about God, saying, God, give me an opportunity. 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 And they leave. Oh, didn't get it. Dang, God. Go to the next person. God, give me an opportunity. God, give me an opportunity. God, give me an opportunity. Be sensible. Don't be stupid. God gave you knowledge in your head. He made you smart enough to be able to say, hey, this will work. Has anybody ever even told you about the true message of Jesus Christ? You see what I mean? To take advantage of that. God has made us smart enough to be able to read his word, to be able to understand what his points are, and to be able to use them. I mean, here's the deal. I'm sorry to say it, 
there is no perfect situation for sharing the gospel. It's not going to happen. If you're waiting for a perfect opportunity, you will never share God's word with somebody. People are going to get saved through imperfect people, in imperfect situations, in imperfect circumstances. People are going to get saved through the weirdest of coincidences, okay? You can't always be waiting for that perfect thing. It's not going to happen. I'm sorry, it's not. You have to just function in it. There's a spot in the Bible where they, the, the new Christians, after Jesus had, had developed his church, they were having all these conversations about what they're supposed to do. You know, should we do this? What should we do really making the Gentiles subscribe to this part of the Jewish law about this? And you know what it says? It says they all sat down, they thought it out, and it seemed well with them, and it seemed well with the Holy Spirit. That's what they did. God gave us wisdom. He made us smart enough to be able to say, you know what, this seems like it's going to work. This seems like it might be, um, you know, a good way to do this. I say is this, is God made you smart enough to know that um, if I don't spend any time with my unsaved friends, it's going to be hard for me to tell them about Jesus Christ, isn't it? Hmm, maybe I need to make some room to hang out with my unsaved friends. God's going to tell you that um, if you don't even start to talk about Jesus Christ in your conversations, how are you going to ask them about their relationship with Jesus Christ? You don't even mention it yourself. God made you smart enough to be able to figure out and start working at these things. I say is this. Jesus Christ is the Savior, okay? You are the tool. You are responsible for working at people's salvation. It's not all in God's hands. It's up to us as well. The Holy Spirit is touching people's hearts. Jesus Christ is the Savior, but it's our responsibility to be working at people's salvations day in and day out, be putting ourselves into people's lives, and be telling them about what Jesus has done in your life and what Jesus can do in their life. That's your responsibility. The Bible talks about that time and time again. That's your, your mantle. That's what you're supposed to carry. So like I said, Matthew 5, this description that he gave, once again, the salt and the light. It says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a, on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to, be open, up, to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. That's what God's calling you to. People are going back to school. People are going back to their natural habits right now, back to their, their normal life. And I'm saying that this is what you have to get in your mind. That when you wake up in the morning, today is a day to tell someone about Jesus Christ. Today is a day to live love, to be bold, and to be sensible about how you're going to reach people. That you should wake up with that mindset. That there's people who you need to reach. No one else is going to be able to. There's people in situations that you have opportunities to. Take advantage of them. Use them. Be bold, be loving, and be sensible. So if we get this down, 
let me tell you, many people can be reached, and here's the real beauty of it, is that instead of five virgins making it in to that court, all ten virgins make it into that court. And that's the passion. I want to pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight, Jesus Christ, and I thank you just for this opportunity that we have uh, just to be able to learn from your word. Lord God, that your, your very words that you said that were so awe-inspiring and truthful, Lord God, that we looked at them maybe in just a different light than you even used them in that, Lord God. And what we did is we saw another, another point that you would put here on earth, Lord God, that you have called us to tell other people about you. Lord, that this is one of our greatest callings, Lord, is to, is to be here on earth to love you, but to tell other people about you as well. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you will just bring this boldness deep down into our hearts. Lord, let this mediocrity stop, Lord God. Let this um, just insincereness of Christianity just be killed, Lord. I pray to you, Lord, also just for this love, that you would birth it in our hearts, Lord, that you are the beginning of love and that you would just carry it out through our hearts. And Lord, also that you would just let us be sensible, Lord God. Like I said, man, let us just stop being so stupid in the usage of our time, Lord God, in the way that we, we wait for these perfect opportunities, Lord God, that never will come. And let us just actually be able to talk about you on a regular basis and really just do you proud, Jesus Christ. It's in your precious name that I pray tonight, Lord God. Amen.